Our scripture reading continues the theme we've had this weekend that really started with the parenting conference on on Friday and on Saturday. So please listen now to God's holy and inerrant word. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, Then take care, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth." You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by by thrusting out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has promised." When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us, up, brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, it is 
because of the power of the cross that set us free from the penalty and the power of sin, um, that we bring these gifts, these tithes and these offerings before you. We bring them before you asking that you would use them in this world in order that your kingdom would be advanced upon this earth, in order that the wonderful good news of the gospel would be proclaimed to all the nations. And Father, as we prepare now to come before your word, we pray that you would proclaim your gospel to us this morning by your spirit. Father, we pray that we would before your word, that we would find ourselves both incredibly humbled and incredibly confident, humbled to know that it is the voice of our creator that we are hearing, humbled to know that we are your broken creation, but we pray that you would give us confidence this morning as well. Confidence because when you open your mouth to speak, you call worlds into being. And when your son walked the face of this earth, it was by the power of his voice that he spoke to the blind and gave them sight to the lame and they were made to walk to the deaf and they were made to hear. It was by the power of his voice that he spoke into the tombs and raised the dead to life. Father, we pray that you would Help us to hear your voice this morning with that kind of confidence. Because we all need to know the same thing this morning. That we're far more broken than we could imagine. But because of Jesus, we are far more loved than we could have ever dreamed possible. So we pray that you would help us, the eyes of faith, to see him this morning. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And at this time, I'll... Invite the children ages three to six to be dismissed for children's church. As Dave mentioned earlier when he was reading the scripture passage this morning, this past weekend we had our parenting conference. Um, And a conference like this is something that I, I certainly hope that we will do much more of in the future, not always parenting, of course, uh, other topics and those kind of things, because among other things, I want us to grow in awareness that we're doing these parent, these type of conferences, not for ourselves, Um, that it's good for us and we benefit from it, but we're really doing it for our community to say that we want to be involved in the felt needs of the people in this place. And so Hopefully, we'll be able to look forward to more of those to come. But we had this parenting conference this past weekend, and Dr. Chip Pillow came, and he did a wonderful job uh, for those of us who were here. And if you weren't here or were unable to come, we'll be making those uh, his talks available on our website soon. Um, but because of this conference, I thought we'd take a break from our regular series where, we're lo- where we've been looking at the parables that Jesus told. We'd take a break from that and... Um, and talk a little bit about the home and the family. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's scary to talk about that after sitting through that conference. Uh, because among other things that I learned this weekend is that I am very unqualified to talk about parenting. Um, and so, but thankfully, we have God's word spoken to us. And we can look to that. Um, and that's why we read that long 
passage from Deuteronomy earlier. Um, you know, if you've come over to my house, you, you may may not remember this, but when you walk in to our house through the front door in our living room that's just to the right, uh, we have this, uh, this huge piece of furniture in that living room. Um, it's this massive armoire or this, this wardrobe uh, that is from the late 1800s that my grandfather passed down to me. And it's this imposing piece of furniture. Uh, but it, it somehow, as imposing as it is, um, somehow simultaneously it conveys both strength uh, or stability, certainly, uh, but also beauty. And um, But I also want to say this about that piece of furniture. That piece of furniture is as good a reason as any for me to never move again in my life. Um, you wouldn't know it just by glancing at it, but it's basically a giant, unwieldy, frustrating puzzle is what that thing is. Because... You see, it's made up of all these multiple pieces, and the pieces, they're put together and fit together by these pegs that fit into corresponding holes and these, you know, these uh, grooves of wood that fit into corresponding uh, other routed pieces of wood. And the, so it's a puzzle that you have to put together. In fact, the only screws on the entire piece of furniture are the hinges on which the doors turn. So you have to really fit all this this stuff together, um, this huge five feet wide, three foot deep, nine feet tall thing. It's a gigantic puzzle, and it's a it's a nightmare uh, to put that thing together. Um, and, and it's but it is beautiful and it's sturdy when it's assembled. But I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not all that easy to put together. And um, now look, the family, the family and the home, you know, it, it's the most basic building block of civilization and society. Nothing has done more to shape us as, as who we are, into who we are as our families, right? And, and God designed the family to be a thing of beauty in our lives, right? To communicate reality to us, to communicate grace to us, to communicate safety and vulnerability and strength to us. And even as I say that, you and I, we understand, I, I hope, that I know that not all of us grew up in a home where that was, where that was true, right? And, and some of that has left a lot of scars on us. And, but one of the reasons those scars run so deep and last for such a long time is really because of what the home was meant to be in our lives, but failed to be. And here's what I want to do this morning. I want to lay out three pieces. Um, you think of my, my armoire there. You know, three pieces uh, that are essential for building a home of strength and beauty so that you and I can begin to, tr- to, to approach building the kinds of homes God intends for us to build. And by the end, I want to make an attempt uh, to show you how these pieces fit together, you know, where the pegs fit in the holes and that kind of thing and that makes the whole thing stand together. So here are the three pieces that God is to be the center of the home, that God is to be loved in the home, and that God is to be known in the home. Okay, the center of the home, loved in the home and known in the home. First, God 
is to be at the center of the home. You know, the home, it is, it's meant to fit and it's meant to hold together with God at its very center, right? God shaping and informing and directing and holding everything together. Look, Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, it's this collection of the last things that Moses has to say to the people of Israel before they go into the promised land, right? So Moses, this great figure in Israel's history who led these people out of slavery in Egypt, and now they're poised, ready to go into the promised land and enter into it. And Moses is saying here in this section, he's saying, when you go into the promised land, keep God at the very center of your home and your life. Let me give you a brief overview of verses 6 through about 15 here, okay? Moses says, take God's commands and talk about them all the time and bind them on your hands and on your foreheads and write them on the doorposts of your houses and on the gates, right? And he says, talk about them while you're sitting down or while you're lying down or you're waking up all the time. You see what he's saying? He's saying, be diligent, be proactive, be intentional about keeping God at the very center of everything in the home. Why? Keep going. Verses 10 through 11 basically say this. Because God is about to give you all kinds of good things. Cities and homes and possessions and wells and vineyards and olive trees and all, all, that, all that stuff that he mentions there. I think that's pretty interesting, right? Be super intentional, Moses is saying, about keeping God at the very center of the home because he's about to give you all kinds of good things. He's about to bless your socks off. So keep him at the center of the home. And so when he says this, end of verse 11 and 12, he says this. And when you eat and are full, then take care. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then Moses starts talking about idolatry and following other gods and God's jealous anger against (coughs) idolatry in verses 13 through 15, which is, of course, related to this, right? Keep God at the center of the home, because when God gives you good things, your heart is going to be so, so very prone. So, so very prone to take those good things and turn them into ultimate things in your life. Let me give you a real quick image, and then we'll come back to all this. Last week, I saw this brief article uh, that I read online uh, about this Chinese hotel that had collapsed. And it was a brief article because pretty much everything was in the pictures. It was pretty dramatic pictures. This is this 15... Uh, story hotel, something like that, that had just, it looked like someone had just leaned on it and just kind of pushed it over on its side. And it just fell completely over and was destroyed, mostly intact, but all on its side, laying on the ground. And the gist of the article was that the contractor who built this hotel, hotel, in an attempt to save money, right, um, he... uh, he didn't use the right materials in the foundation. 
And so when that area got its first big rain, its first heavy rainfall, buildings started to settle. And because the foundation was built out of the wrong materials, right, the foundation basically snapped. And the whole thing just fell over on its side and was destroyed. And, and this is what, I, what I'm trying to say to you in this first point. If you don't build your home on the right foundation with God at the very center, it, it will not be able to bear the weight and hold together. It will fall over and be destroyed. Look, all that's fine to say, I guess, but you know, our question that we're left with is, how does that really happen? And let me suggest to you, you already know how that happens, because we've all heard the stories, right? The husband or father, or the husband and father who ends up alienating his family, and he leaves behind him in his wake embittered children and spouse, right? Because he is so fixated on getting ahead in his career, right? The, the woman who threw her family away, husband and children, for an, for an embrace of passion in a moment, right? The man whose friends are left with their jaws wide opening, open, how could that happen to this guy? You know, we thought he was such a great guy, but somehow he's been caught up in all these dishonest business transactions. If you're anything like me, you can think of very specific people whom you've seen this kind of thing happen to. And how does that, how does that really happen, though? Because I'm, I, I can almost guarantee you this. No one gets married and thinks, oh, finally a new beginning. I cannot wait to alienate and, you know, embitter my children against me. You, you know, no one, no one starts out thinking, I am so looking forward to abandoning my children. No, no one starts out thinking, you know, in, an, in a new job thinking, I am so anxious to get started cooking the books and, uh, and lying to all my clients. It doesn't start like that. But it happens, right? You know it happens. It, and it happens when you take good things and you turn them into ultimate things. When you forget the Lord and you put something else in the center of your life or your home. And it cannot bear the weight and hold together. When you look for your value and your significance and your approval and your security in your career or your bank account or in someone else, you are building your life and your home on a faulty foundation and it will never be able to hold together. Real quick, a guy named David Powson, he talks about, really insightful guy, you should read him, uh, David Powson. He, he talks about um, how the longings of our hearts are disordered. And, and that's what idolatry does, right? What building your home or your life on the gifts rather than the giver of the gifts does. Priorities get disordered and end up wreaking havoc and destruction in our lives and in our homes. The only way to build a life or a home of strength is to get the longings of our hearts rightly ordered. And that's what building a home with God at the center does, right? When he's at the center, at the foundation, everything and everything's in relation to Him, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, the things we value, the things we don't do, and the things we do, it all gets rightly ordered when He's at the center and everything is touching on Him. And let me leave you hanging there for a bit and we'll move on. Second, God is to be loved in the home. 
God is to be the chief object of love in the home. Not your spouse and not your children. Certainly not your things. God is to be the chief object of love in the home. Verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Here's what Moses is saying. He is saying, love God with every fiber of your being. Bring every faculty of your being to bear on the loving God supremely. Emotionally, intellectually, volitionally. Make Him the delight of all your thinking, of all your doing, of all your feeling, of all your speaking. Heart, soul, and might. Now, here's what I think. I think that the way most of us think about love falls far short of what Moses is saying here and what he's talking about here. Let me try and come at it from from this angle. Just think about the language of verse 5. He says, you shall love the Lord your God. And then he goes on from there. See, if you were reading through the book of Deuteronomy... That would just jump out like, like nothing. I mean, it, it, it would just be huge. Because you see, you would have come through Deuteronomy chapter 5. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses, he laid out the Ten Commandments. Right? And so, you would have heard him say, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. So if you're getting where I'm going with all this, when when Moses says, you shall love the Lord your God, verse 5 is a command. How? How do you command someone to love? See, we tend to think of love as primarily, or, or, or maybe we even think of it only in terms of feelings and the romantic. Right? Um, Emotional stuff. And Moses is saying, no. You are commanded to love God. Sure, emotionally. But also intellectually and volitionally and with your whole being. It's a command for you to think out what it means to love God in your career and to put it into action. Right? It's a command for you to think out what it means to love God in the relationships that you have with your neighbors. And put it into action. It's a command for your strength and your energy to be summoned and engaged in loving God in the way you deal with your money and your time and your resources. It's a command that every fiber of your being, not just emotionally, be employed in the love of God. A command for loving, a command for the love of God to transform every relationship in your life, every motive, every decision, every action. I have officiated a lot of weddings. Um, part of that due to the fact that I spent a, a good amount of time um, doing campus ministry. Uh, I've done far more than I can keep track of. And sometimes, but sometimes when I'm officiating a wedding, you know, we'll be going through the service and all that with the couple, and the bride and groom will say, we want to we write our own vows. And I always cringe when I hear that. Um, 
And I, if you did that, I'm not shaming you. I'm trying to make a point here. Um, you know, and I'll let them say something most of the times, but I, I always tell them, when it comes to the vows, I'll be the one leading those, not you. And here's why. When people write out their vows, right, they tend, they don't always do this, but they tend to go something like this. I love you so much. You are so awesome. You are so beautiful. You make me so happy. You are so wonderful. And it, I mean, it sounds, and they do it in their tears, and then people in the audience are crying, and it sounds so good and cheesy and all that stuff. But the vows I make them say, they seem, they seem on the surface a lot less exciting, but far more profound in their reach. Because see, I, I make them say this, I take you to be my wedded wife or husband. Right? And they say, and I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband or wife. Right? In plenty and in want. In joy and in sorrow. In sickness and in health. Right? All, all those things. And look, you know what the difference is between those two things? When people make their own vows, they're almost always saying, you are so lovely. You are so beautiful. You are so attractive. You make me happy. But those vows I just read to you, they don't do that. They say, I promise. I promise to be like this to you. No matter what. Right? Even if you change. Right? E even if circumstances change. Right? Whatever happens, the moment you become unlovely and not attractive, I promise before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband or wife. You know, Jennifer and I will joke sometimes about how... Um, you know, I, I can tell her, you know, she, she's been married to three men. And all of them have been me. I've been married to three women. And they've all been her. We've changed. But we made promises. And those promises engage far more than emotions, right? I mean, it's everything. It's, it's a decision. It's, it's volition. It's... It's strength girded up. It's heart, soul, and might. I promise to be like this to you. No matter what you're like. That's far more profound. Even though it sounds a little less exciting. You know, when, when I think about this, um, it makes me think of this story that Jesus told. Um, and it was a story, it's a real short story. It's like two sentences. But it was about a man who he finds this treasure in a field, right? And then he went and he decided to sell everything that he had. He, well, he hid the treasure. He went and sold everything he had to purchase this field so he could have it. Super short parable. But, you know, that's love. To find something of supreme value. There's so much value that it pulls all your faculties together. Right? That every fiber of your being is directed to that treasure, 
plans are made, decisions are made, actions are taken. God says, love me like that with your whole life. With your whole life. You know, I I did kind of cheat with that quote from David Powelson earlier because uh, he wasn't in his whole quote just talking about disordered longings. He was also talking about disordered loves. And let me give you the whole quote here, which is really just a reflection, his reflection on this prayer from St. Augustine in the 4th century. And just one line of that prayer where St. Augustine said or wrote, um, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And Powson wrote this, Augustine's sense of the human heart is that we are grasping creatures. We are willful and impulsive. Our longings and loves are disordered and corrupted. So I think Moses, Powson, and Augustine, those are three pretty heavy hitters. Um, I think they're all saying basically the same thing. They are saying, bring all your loves in this life under the love of God. Under loving God with every fiber of your being. And, and they're saying this, then and only then will all your other loves be properly ordered. Because see, only when you love God more than your family, more than your spouse, more than your children, can you ever love them well. Right? Only when you love God before you love them will you know how to be patient. Will you know how to be firm? Will you know how to be kind? Will you know how to be hopeful? Will you know how to be gracious and consistent and caring? Only when you love God with every fiber of your being will you be able to love your family rightly. Okay, finally, last point. God is to be known in the home. And in this last point, I'll try to pull this stuff together. Um, I want to do more in this point, but I'm, I'm just going to show you one thing in this point. There's, look, there's all this stuff throughout this passage. We read that long passage, or, or Dave did. So, so thankful he had to read that long passage and not me. Um, long. But all throughout, it's talking about teaching your children, right? And passing things on from generation to generation, right? Um, and, and at the heart of it is passing down who God really is. What He's really like. You know, it's about making God known. And I think this is just brilliant what Moses does at the end of the chapter. Because in verses 20 through 25, Moses basically says, here's an example of how it all might go down in your house. Right? See how he envisions a son coming to his father with a question. Basically, Dad, why do we have to do all these things? Why do we have to keep all these rules and all these commandments and all this stuff? Now, now stop right there. What do you and I tend to do when we get a question like that? Or if we don't get a question like that, we might even preemptively answer that question for our children, right? And what we usually do is we run straight back to the commands, don't we? <laughs> right? Because God said so. Honor your parents, um, or you shall not bear false, whatever the situation is, or any other any of the other shalls, right? So you're telling your children, we keep these commands because of a command, and and I'm not saying that's not right, but what I'm saying is there's not anything that's particularly thrilling 
or satisfying or captivating about keeping a command because of a command. And that's, that, see, that's certainly not how Moses sees this, how this conversation should go down with your children. Oh, he gets to the commands in verses 24 and 25, but that is not where he starts. He says, when your son, when your child comes to you and asks you, why do we do all these things? Why, does it, why is it important that we live like this? He says, you tell them that you were slaves in Egypt. And God came down and brought you out of that slavery. Right? God came down and rescued and redeemed you from that slavery. That's who God is. That's what He is like. Right? He he is a God of mercy and a God of grace. He is a God of redemption and salvation. You, You fast forward a few hundred years, several hundreds of years, to another perspective that God's redemption in Egypt only foreshadowed, right? To what that moment, this moment in history only gave us hints of this bigger picture, right? When your children ask you, why do we do these things? Tell them you are lost, right? That you are held by the chains of sin and death. And God came down. God Himself came down. And Jesus went to the cross to purchase you and set you free. It, Moses is saying, tell them a story. Tell them a story that will ignite deep love in their hearts. Tell them a story that pulls all things together. A story that thrills and captivates and satisfies the deepest longings of our hearts. Because our hearts are restless until they rest in God. See, when we hear all that stuff about God being at the center of the home and being loved in the home, we think, man, that's hard. (laughs) How, How do you do that? You know, that's really, really hard to keep him at the center of everything and to love him above everything else. How can you do that? Think about it like this. What if that story that I told you earlier, that story that Jesus told uh, about the treasure in a field, what if Jesus' main point of that story, which I I think it was, was to say this, you. You. You are my long lost treasure. And I went and I planned and I figured out how to liquidate all of my assets so that I could purchase you. What if Jesus was saying that to you? Which he is. What if Jesus was saying, I was willing to give up everything, even my life to take the judgment you deserve, just so that I could have you forever? When you realize, listen, when you realize the great exchange of the gospel, that all your sins were credited to Jesus, and all, every bit of his righteousness was credited to you, listen, When you understand and believe that, you can stop looking 
at silly little things like your career and your money and acceptance from others as your value and significance and security and identity in this life. And you can begin building your home and your life centered on the love of God for you. And knowing that begins to change you, doesn't it? It makes you want to love him with every fiber of your being. Not just emotionally, but intellectually and volitionally with your whole soul, with your whole being. You know, one of my favorite authors is a guy uh, from the 19th century named Horatius Bonner. And I want to leave you with this quote because I think it explains well how, how this story a story of grace where all our sins are pardoned and we receive the righteousness of God, how it doesn't leave us with nothing to do. But that is the the impetus for all our activity in life. And it moves us into the commands that Moses gets to in verses 24 and 25 at the end of chapter 6. He writes this, Men with their feet firmly set on Luther's rock. He's talking about Martin Luther, right? Men with their feet set firmly on on Luther's rock, the righteousness of God by faith, filled with the Spirit, pervaded by the peace of God. They are the ones who do the great things in the church. Others do little. Faith, he writes, leads us first of all to Abel's more excellent sacrifice. By faith we quit Ur and Egypt and Babylon, setting our face to the eternal city. By faith we offer up our Isaacs and worship, leaning on the top of our staves and give commandments concerning our bones. By faith we choose affliction with the people of God and despise Egypt's treasures. By faith we keep our Passover, pass through the Red Sea, overthrow Jericho's. Subdue kingdoms, work righteousness, stop the mouths of lions, quench the violence of fire, turn to flight the armies of the aliens, and refuse deliverance in the day of trial, that we may obtain a better resurrection. By faith we receive forgiveness, by faith we live, by faith we work and endure and suffer. By faith we win the crown, a crown of righteousness, which shall be ours in the day of the appearing of him who is our righteousness. Build homes of beauty and strength, right? By putting God at the center of the home, by loving God in the home, by making him known in the home. But know this at the same time, that the only way you can do any of that is through this story, the story of a God who so loved you that he called you his treasure and he gave everything, even his life, to get you. Let's pray. God, you are a God of mercy and grace. And we recognize before your word that we have failed to make known who you really are in our homes. And we have failed to live out the reality of this story, this beautiful story, that Jesus, He came, and He lived the life we could not live, and died the death we should have died, so that we would be His treasure forever and ever. 
Father, we pray that that story, that it would breathe hope even in the midst of our failures. That it would be, breathe grace in the midst of our brokenness. And that it would begin to change us from the inside out. That you would become more and more the center of our lives and our homes. And that more and more, seeing this story, every fiber of our being would be employed in loving you out of gratitude for all you have done for us in Jesus, in whose name we do pray. Amen.